Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we can celebrate that babe, not just simply in a manger, but on the cross. And that we recognize the reason you came so that you and I and all of us in the sanctuary this morning and the world could know that you are such a God who loves us that gave his only son so that we could have life forever. And so we come today and Tuesday to celebrate your willingness to lay everything aside to become who you are and allow us the opportunity to be in this place this morning because of all of that and to celebrate your amazing grace and your love in this journey that you have us on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Community Alliance Church. Can't wait to see you on Tuesday. We're looking forward to a great day. Almost all the services, as Joe said, are pretty equal. So it'll be a lot of fun to see what God is going to do in that experience together. I know you know this, but we are on a journey. And over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The Christmas Journey. I also know that you know that every journey you take with your family can be amazing, exciting, or exhausting, and many times on the exact same trip, right? One of the mottos that I've had in life is to see the USA with the CMA, so that every time the CMA has a gathering somewhere around the country, be it a council when all the pastors and lay people and missionaries from around the world gather, or a life conference for the youth events that we talk about on a regular basis here, We add on a few days vacation so that we can be in a new city, experience something new, and then return home after it's done. 1998, Life Conference was in Salt Lake City, Utah. We decided since we were there and both of our girls qualified to go to the Life Conference that we would spend an extra few days after that was over, rent a car, go through Yellowstone, end up in Wyoming, see some friends in Montana, and fly back from there. So we did that. What we didn't calculate is that we would be exhausted after working 12 to 14 hours a day, the week of life conference, then getting in a car together as a family just to be close to one another and enjoy the experience. (laughs) My kids still to this day talk about it. It was 21 years ago. It was hot in the back, so hot in the back and we had the air conditioner down so, or up so high that you could hang meat in the front seat and have a sauna in the back seat. We went through Yellowstone, which is one of those amazing, breathtaking moments. Stopped near the end of the day at a souvenir place to grab some souvenirs and some dinner. As we were checking out, the lady that was there asked us, do you have reservations in Yellowstone tonight? I said, no, ma'am, we have in Cody, Wyoming this evening. She said, you do know the gate closes in an hour. I said, no, ma'am, I did not know that. Well, the gate closes in an hour, and if you aren't out, you are here for the night. And, by the way, you have no reservation, and I have already paid for that one in Cody, Wyoming. I'm going to get to Cody, Wyoming. Threw the kids in the car. I don't even remember if we ate. Flying down, dust flying everywhere, and my kids still will talk about the fact that we are in Yellowstone National Park, one of the most breathtaking places on the planet, and all they remember saying is there was a bear, there was a deer, there was an eagle. I know it was an eagle. I'm pretty sure I saw an eagle. You couldn't see anything. Not only was the dust flying, every animal that we may have said we see, we probably didn't see. And to this day, they still remind me of that journey. As amazing as it was supposed to be, didn't quite go as planned. God has blessed me to be on the board of trustees for Nyack College and Alliance Theological Seminary, and our meetings are in New York City every spring and fall. This spring it was in April. The meeting finished today earlier, and Connie and I decided to do something we've always wanted to do, and that was to go to Ellis Island. If you know anything about immigrants coming from 
every other country around the world, especially in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they all came through Ellis Island. One of the things I wanted to see was my grandparents' name on that wall. And we got a chance to see that and, and then to walk through that hall and imagine what it was like to leave another place, another country, come to the United States not knowing very much. My grandmother couldn't speak a word of English. Going into the unknown, having absolutely no idea where this journey was going to take them. You know and I know that life's journeys are filled with excitement, sometimes the unknown, and often the unexpected. Enter Mary and Joseph into the Christmas story, and you'll see all three. The Dutch reformer, Søren Kierkegaard, in the early 1800s, told a story about a king who had fallen hopelessly in love with a maiden in his kingdom. He wondered, how in the world can I pursue a mere commoner? I could probably enter with trumpets blaring and robes on and crown on my head, but I'm not sure if that's the best way. I could probably come and share with her all of my wealth, and as she bowed down in front of me, I could ask for her hand in marriage. Or maybe the best thing to do was just simply say, I want you as my queen. After all, I'm a king. I can demand anything I want from any subject that I know. But he thought, how will I ever know if she really loves me for who I am? So he made a decision to lay all that aside, put it all down, come as a common beggar. Met her alone in the forest, knowing that if he could get her attention, he could eventually win her love. Kierkegaard said the Christmas story is insane. I mean, it's incredible when you think about it. It's absurd with virgin, baby, angels, and all the nativity guests, completely irrational. Nobody would ever have a story go this way. Only God could come up with a story like this, which, he said, is what makes the Christmas story so incredible. It begins in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found out to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, Yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home to be his wife, but he didn't consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and when she did, they gave him the name Jesus. You talk about an unexpected turn in a journey. Joseph had a tough decision to make. Believe the message and get rid of Mary, or believe in Mary, regardless of the message. Pledge to be married in verse 18 is a lot more serious than our modern-day engagements. Many of you may have heard at least family members or a friend or somebody you know who broke off the engagement because they weren't quite prepared for what it was going to entail. But in this particular context, it was way more serious than just giving someone a ring. He could have, according to Old Testament law, which it referred to in here, have her stoned for infidelity. 
was rarely exercised, but by rights he could at least break off the relationship, expose her to public shame and disgrace, and leaving her very hard-pressed to ever find another husband for the rest of her life. When you read this text and you see Joseph's response, you got to wonder, did he believe the angel or did he believe more in Mary? The story she and the angel told him had to be hard to believe. But I've often wondered if his belief in Mary far outweighs any doubt in the story. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but can you imagine the foundation their marriage is built on? I mean, you and I have heard the story hundreds and hundreds of times. I've got to believe every single person who came into first service this morning and in this service here knows exactly what they understand about the Christmas story. I would be shocked if any of you have never, ever heard the Christmas story. I've been in ministry 42 years. I've shared 42 Christmas services through the years. Multiple services in multiple days. And yet every time I look at this story, I'm fascinated by this man. And I've often wondered, what on earth was it like to be married in that particular context with that kind of belief in one another? This guy took a back seat throughout the entire story. And every time I read his story, I want to ask, do I have someone that believes in me that much? And you ought to ask, do you have somebody that believes in you that much? If you do, you ought to thank him. If you don't, you ought to find him. If you do have someone that believes you in that much, believes in you that much, you ought to thank them. And if you don't, you ought to find them. Every one of us needs someone to believe in us. As I look back at my own story, when I wrote this down a couple of weeks ago, I realized how overwhelmingly blessed I have been. And I get that. Unbelievable parents, amazing wife. I had pastors who believed in a young radical kid who rode a motorcycle and had long hair that someday maybe he would amount to something. I had a senior pastor who so believed in me to this day when I see his picture, tears well up in my eye. Rock Dillman and I, pastor of the Allegheny Center Alliance Church, had the privilege of being able to start with the exact same man named Nick, of all things, who loved us and believed in us and knew someday we would do okay. You can say, well, I don't know if I've ever had anybody to believe in me that much. I don't have a dad or a mom who believed in me that much, and I totally, totally understand that. But you can be somebody who believes in someone that much. Even if you didn't have it, never experienced it, don't even quite understand it, you can be someone who believes in someone that much that no matter what they tell you or what the circumstances are, you're in their corner. Obviously, we have a Jesus who loves us in spite of our past, in spite of our problems, who never gives up on us, regardless of all the twists and turns in our own journey. And then, of course, you have Mary in this story who trusted God, who responded in obedience even in the midst of the uncertainty of her journey. Her story begins in Luke chapter 1, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the one that Joe referred to last Sunday morning. God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pled to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Her name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I think she was also troubled at the fact that an angel showed up. Troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But he said to her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The question that Keith posed a couple of weeks ago with Mary is, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One born in you will be called the Son of God. For in verse 7, no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left. Out of the incredible story that it is, I think the probably greatest line in the entire section of Scripture is in verse 38, where Mary says, whatever you say, Lord. I'm your servant. May your word be fulfilled. Again, when I read that story, I find myself wondering, could I respond like that? I don't understand, Lord, but I trust you. I don't like it. I didn't like it. I'd love another answer. I didn't like that answer. I didn't like that circumstance. I didn't like how that went. I don't quite get how all this fits together, but I still trust you. Or does God sometimes have to show us a miracle or a little bit of a glimpse of the future or something to let us know we're on the right track? When you read this story, you have to understand why God chose Mary, whatever you want me to do. And after everything is laid out, she makes a choice, complete obedience. And what you need to understand, it's not just for nine months. It's for a life. Her whole life is a response in absolute, complete obedience. I'm your servant because of that relationship. I'll do whatever you ask. She trusted God, even though she had absolutely no idea. Regardless of what the angel said, she had no idea where this journey was going to go. But she continued to trust What's intriguing is this is a 15-year-old girl. And then there's the journey itself. It begins in Luke chapter 2. We'll finish the journey on Tuesday. Luke chapter 2, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. First one that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. I got to believe when somewhere along that three-day journey, Joseph thought, this is not how I thought my life would go. And I got to believe that Mary would think a three-day journey to another town this late in my pregnancy, this is not an over-the-river-and-through-the-woods-to-grandmother's-house-we-go kind of journey. Not even close i got to believe they were hoping to have the baby at home in Nazareth around family and friends, not in a new place that they hadn't been to in a long time, maybe with people they hadn't seen for a long time, surrounded by people, many of them, they never even knew. Of all the continents, of all the countries, of all the regions, of all the provinces, of all the villages, God, hundreds of years before Christ, said Bethlehem. So the orchestration of events began. God said the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Micah said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. How on earth was God going to do that? What was going to bring the Christ child to that specific spot? Well, some say the census. For the first time in history, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time in history, there was a decree that all the citizens could go back to their hometown. When Julius Caesar was in charge, there was a lot of civil unrest. More civil war than almost any other Roman emperor. But when Augustus Caesar came to the throne, 
Some years before Christ, peace settled in and travel became safe. A lot of scholars think it all took place somewhere between 4 B.C. and 6 A.D., which would fit into the time frame when Quirinius was governor of Syria during Herod's reign as king. Most historians base their events and base all circumstances on who's in charge or who's in power. Notice verse 3 could indicate that Joseph could have had some property in Bethlehem since it was also his hometown where he had been raised. If you really understand that concept, then you understand how Joseph could have still been there when the Magi showed up one to two years later after the birth. I know we put him in the manger scene, but it's really later when they come into the context of all of that. It makes sense, and to be really honest with you, it makes even more sense because nobody would stay with relatives that long. It's fascinating when you study Scripture and you recognize how God orchestrated events that you and I wouldn't understand until you see it all come together. Verse 5, he went there with Mary. Some, of course, wonder why that late in her pregnancy. Well, if you read Luke's genealogy, you'll also understand she's from the same line. And, but yet most tax laws would have required only Joseph, the head of the household. But knowing the kind of man that Matthew portrays him to be, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt there's no way he would leave her home alone that late in her pregnancy. And certainly the circumstances of that would deprive her of other friends. So they continued on their journey unsure of what lied ahead, simply following God until Tuesday night when it finally arrived. When I wrote all this down, I began to look at all the twists and turns in a lot of people's life's journey. And I wanted us to think about our own journey. And to think back for a moment and stop every once in a while and kind of back up far enough to begin to see how God orchestrated the events in our lives and put the people in our lives and the circumstance in our lives and the one who shared Jesus with us in our lives or the church or whatever that may have been to bring us where we are today. Now, maybe you do that on a regular basis. But to every once in a while, just begin to stop and reflect. God, to watch how you put all this together is incredible. I began to think about my own grandmother who made a decision to come to America, follow a man she had only met a few months before that, knowing there was no way she wanted to be a lumberjack in a very tough environment. And I wondered, what if my dad hadn't listened to the story of Jesus from a barber who knew the story of God's love was way too good to keep to himself? And if my dad hadn't let God choose my path, Instead of following in his footsteps as a farmer, I wouldn't be here today to share the details of the greatest story God's son could have ever taken so that you and I could be where we are today. So many events in this Christmas story. Incredible orchestration so that you and I could be restored from darkness and have a relationship with God and be called sons and daughters of the living God. An event that God orchestrated on a quiet night in Bethlehem. And I found myself asking this question. Do you think that a God who could do all of that and orchestrate all of these events to bring his son into the world, to offer his life, could do a good job at running your life and mine? The answer, of course, is yes. And do you also think that knowing what he knows and knowing what he can do, that he can put a pretty good job of putting our life together and letting it unfold as we continue to follow and trust him? The worship team's going to sing a song called Make Room. Beautiful, 
rendition, newer rendition of the Christmas story. And what I'd love for you to do while you reflect on listening to the words of the song, think about your story. When they're done, I'm going to have the ushers and the communion stores come down, and we're going to share the communion experience. We're going to hold in our hands the symbol of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross and the cup that represents his shed blood so that we can have forgiveness of sin. What I'd love for you to do is to simply look at your story. Say, God is incredible. I'd have never dreamed in a million years that I'd be where I am today. I would have never imagined. But as I stop every once in a while and begin to reflect and see where I am today, I am so unbelievably grateful that I decided to allow your story and mine to intertwine so that I could be here today and I could be in this experience to celebrate the greatest gift that God could have ever given to us. Listen to the words of this song.